How did treaty and Aboriginal rights get in our Constitution? Many Canadians know our Constitution was patriated from the British Parliament to Canada's authority in 1982, and a Charter of Rights and Freedoms was added, but less well-known, in 1982, Aboriginal and treaty rights for the first time became embedded in Canada's Constitution, Section 35. But that achievement was no straight line. Roy Romano was Premier of Saskatchewan from 1991 to 2001, but in an earlier role as Attorney General and Minister of Intergovernmental Affairs during those constitutional talks, Roy Romano played a central role, not just in getting a deal, but one that included Section 35 rights. Roy Romano, thank you for joining us on Game Changers. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. You were Premier from 1991 to 2001. You won three successive elections, handed off to the next NDP leader, Lauren Calvert. He added another one. But before that, you were Attorney General and Minister of Intergovernmental Affairs for Alan Blakeney, the NDP Premier, and you were in the thick of these 1982 constitutional talks. So set the stage for us. You were co-chair of something called the Continuing Committee of Ministers for the Constitution, quite the name, uh, which did the groundwork leading to the critical First Minister's Conference of September 1980. You and Premier Blakey had pushed to include treaty and Aboriginal rights in the new constitution, but they didn't end up in the package recommended to the 1980 Constitutional Conference. Why was your government so active on Aboriginal treaty rights, and, and how did they get dropped out from those first 1980 recommendations? Well, if I may answer your specific question in just a, a moment or two, to simply say that I think what must be kept in mind is that in Quebec, there was a government led by a very able premier, uh, the late Renny Levesque, um, Mr. Levesque was from a Liberal Party background, but uh, with Jean Lesage, and as I think most Canadians will know, so I won't belabor it, uh, moved away from there to form, uh, in effect, the uh, separatist movement uh, in Quebec. Uh, he was just dissatisfied with uh, the way the Federation was working or not working, and wanted to promote, obviously, uh, French-Canadian language, make sure that it was secure and growing, and same thing with French-Canadian culture. So we were cast into a series of negotiations uh, to try to deal with this issue, we meaning all the provinces and the federal government. Uh, it was set up by uh, Mr. Trudeau Sr., Pierre Trudeau, and um, most of the governments agreed. I think maybe Mr. Levesque was a bit uh, uh, reticent in this. Uh, but in any event, uh, it so happened uh, that at that point, uh, Premier Blakeney was chair of the Premier's conferences, and so the tradition was that they would appoint a co-chair from the provinces. That's how I got appointed co-chair. And Jean Chrétien was Minister of Justice in the uh, Trudeau senior government, and he was the federal co-chair. And it was a co-chair of uh, the continuing committee of ministers on the Constitution or for the Constitution, uh, the CCMC for short. We were given a variety of uh, subject matters to try to deal with uh, the issue uh, because, <clears throat> excuse me, the fear obviously always was that there would be another major crisis uh, coming up in Quebec with respect to the question of nationalism and, and that this had to be addressed. So there was a crowd of maybe about 250 people uh, I think each delegation would have, each provincial delegation, 10 provinces, three territories, federal, about 10 to 15 advisors, and you'd have a larger group from the uh, federal government, understandably. So it was like a small village of about 250 people traveling uh, around the country, 
making uh, some hearing submissions and, and working on uh, solutions. And so that's how uh, I became the co-chair, because Blakeney at that point was uh, the chair of the Premier's conferences, uh, if I can put it that way. And they had that still ongoing, and uh, the natural result was uh, he would make the nomination for the provincial with the consent of his colleagues, and that's what happened. And so I got involved uh, in that uh, uh, issue. Uh, now, uh, with respect to Aboriginal treaty rights, I'll say this very generally because you may have further questions uh, in this area. Um, Premier Blakeney had a very close relationship with, at that time, the head of the AFN, uh, the uh, Ab Ab Aboriginal First Nations, uh, David Ahenikew from Saskatchewan. Uh, David actually was a very prominent, very able uh, spokesperson for First Nations and Aboriginal peoples. Uh, and I got to know him quite well, too. But it was clear that he and Blakeney had a very special relationship uh, it, with respect to the uh, issues pertaining to First Nations people. And so they were always, well, not always, but frequently in, in conversation as the negotiations proceeded. Uh, so that is partly how we got involved in the activity on Aboriginal and treaty rights. But I must say that we also, um, and certainly I will give Premier Blakeney much credit, I'll only say that I sing the Alleluia Chorus here, I was in support of him. We felt very strongly that we needed to make sure there'd be some form of uh, acknowledgement in the Constitution of Aboriginal and Treaty Rights uh, and the relationship between Premier Blakeney and uh, David Anik, who, of course, uh, didn't hurt things. And so uh, we were active for a variety of reasons. And uh, when the variety of other issues unrelated to First Nations were being debated and discussed, uh, we tried to make sure that it would be debated and that issue would be debated and discussed as well. But that first uh, minister's conference in September of 1980, a, a package of uh, recommendations come forward. And, and uh, my understanding is the Saskatchewan government had pushed for the inclusion of Aboriginal treaty rights in that package, but it didn't make it to the table at that time. That's correct, uh, to my recollection. Uh, again, I think we have to remind ourselves of the history of this. There, there was... Uh, the referendum in Quebec conducted by Mr. Levesque about whether or not Quebec should in 1980 separate. Uh, and it was largely fought by Quebecers, uh, namely Pierre Trudeau, Jean Chrétien, others, of course, uh, who were for the Canada-United Canada approach, and by Mr. Levesque and his supporters who wanted to see, the, uh, the Parti Québécois wanted to see uh, an independent Quebec with some sort of a working relationship with the balance of Canada. Uh, this is a little bit off topic, but that was a big debate because the argument really was put quite bluntly that if you separate, you don't get any of the benefits uh, from the rest of Canada. And Mr. Levesque, I think, was hoping that there would be some form of sovereignty and association, which is a phrase which also cropped right. up at that point. Uh, and this was the preoccupation. And in the consequence, Aboriginal and treaty rights uh, simply did not get the kind of uh, attention that they should have. In fact, the agenda, which was drawn up, uh, and keep in mind you're looking at uh, 10 provinces and three territorial leaders, well, at least there were three territories at that time fully recognized as such, who were in negotiations with the federal government on an agenda that the federal government provided to us. Uh, 
Uh, and I believe that uh, Mr. Trudeau Sr.'s uh, preoccupation, and I would say quite understandably from my point of view, was on the question of Quebec. And that was the imminent danger. Uh, the federal government and we Canadians who want to see United Canada saw the first referendum go down to defeat. But Mr. Levesque was a powerful force, and the sentiment of Canadian of Quebec nationalism in the Canadian context was still very active. And so naturally, there was a preoccupation first and foremost about what it would require in the Constitution to possibly keep them together. Many of us felt nothing would keep them uh, committed because they were committed to an independent nation with some concept of sovereignty, independent, but still in association with the rest of Canada, which, by the way, led to the argument, you can't. If you're sovereign, you're not going to have any kind of a legal relationship or maybe some other relationship, trading or whatever. Uh, so it was a very acrimonious debate and a very worrisome debate because although they had lost the first referendum, they being the separatists, uh, they were still very active in government. Mr. Levesque was a very, very uh, charismatic leader and a very persuasive leader, and uh, Trudeau was too. Mr. Trudeau Sr. was as well. So the preoccupation tended to be on the issue of the rights of Section 91, which are the rights set out in the federal government, and Section 92, the rights set out in the provinces, and how if at all, was it possible to work out some sort of constitutional change to at least partway come to solve the problems of Mr. Levesque, namely the demands of Mr. Levesque. Uh, it turned out very quickly that there was no way to do that because Mr. Levesque's view was sovereignty, although he also claimed association. So it was kind of a, uh, a hybrid which was kind of inconsistent. If you're sovereign, you're sovereign. But at the same time, a negotiation is involving some sort of negotiation after that sovereignty association so it was complex but i guess long-windedly what i'm saying is uh in that circumstance the preoccupation falls on uh, quebec uh, keeping quebec in uh, it solves uh it falls on getting uh, f uh complete independence namely getting the british north america act back from london england where it was and a new constitution which redefines 91 federal powers and section 92 provincial powers in such a way that the base of uh, Mr. Levesque's support in Quebec would be satisfied and he would lose power and authority. But while at the same time, the federal government would have sufficient power and authority to do its work as a national government. And in that uh, context, getting uh, Aboriginal rights heard was difficult uh, because it was adding yet another complex dimension to what already was a very complex and very vital uh, debate for the future of Canada. And amid all this complexity in September 1980, that First Minister's Conference failed. Uh, there was no agreement. And then a few weeks later, uh, I think in early October, Premier Pierre Trudeau, uh, Prime Minister Pierre Trudeau, announces that he's going to repatriate the Constitution without provincial consent and puts his own package to Parliament, uh, a unilateral uh, package by put together by him what did that package look like with respect to aboriginal and treaty rights and and then there were parliamentary uh committee hearings on the proposal later uh, and uh, there were concerns raised by indigenous canadians at that time as well uh, so how, how did this start to uh how, how did indigenous uh, uh first nations and made he issues start coming back into the process? 
Well, that's a very uh, important question, and I must confess a very difficult one for me to answer. I've been giving all these years later much thought to this. I actually co-authored a book about a year or two after uh, the whole process ended, and I'm not sure that it even came close to answering. Uh, I, the reality is that the moment you start in negotiations again, and the moment you go before a parliamentary committee, uh, it's pretty hard for the parliamentary committee to deny any legitimate uh, organization or view uh, to be uh, advanced, even though clearly the federal government felt, and I think with some justification, that the uh, package which was being negotiated and not agreed to and being brought home, patriation and the like, by Mr. Trudeau Sr. On a, on a unilateral basis, that was a pretty expansive and pretty extensive package which would deal with the sentiments of nationalism in Quebec. Uh, you had a lot of debate, I mean, in, in the rest of the country out here in the West, it was why is everything for Quebec and nothing for the West. So this is a very delicate, not easy problem for Canada, the federal government, to deal with. Add to that uh, the complexity dealing with First Nations people and then treaty rights. Now note the word treaty, uh, which implies nation to nation, an agreement between nation to nation. <clears throat> that was the argument that advanced and still is being advanced and I think with some force uh, some credibility uh, by First Nations people you add that uh, to the discussions which are complex and the possible um, withdrawal of Quebec from the Federation notwithstanding the votes and the like uh, this was very complex so they wanted to keep the package somewhat manageable if they could and uh, that would include uh, postponing if I can put it that way uh, the discussion on First Nations rights until they got the Quebec situation s settled out, or until we got the Quebec situation settled out, because I was still there, uh, voicing as my co-chair, as the co-chair of the provincial group, uh, the concerns. And the legality of Trudeau's unilateral plan uh, gets challenged to the Supreme Court by by provinces, and then in the summer of 1981, the Supreme Court says. Uh, unilateral federal patriation uh, isn't within constitutional convention and a new first minister's conference is set for that november november 1st 1981 and again you're at the heart of it uh and once again proposing the inclusion of treaty and aboriginal rights on behalf of saskatchewan uh, but when an accord is signed for four or five days later uh, again the indigenous rights are not in the the accord take us through those pivotal four days, and and where uh, treaty and Aboriginal rights came in and came out? Well, uh, again, these are uh, very difficult questions, and they're very important questions, but if I may, mm -hmm. just to put it into context, as you've already alluded and, and mentioned, the referendum of 1980 was defeated, that is, the Levesque referendum uh, on something called sovereignty, but association. Uh, which a lot of us felt was contradictory. I mean, you're sovereign, you're sovereign. If you have an association, you have to negotiate with another sovereign group. But this was carried right in there, because what Mr. Levesque's vision was that Quebec would have sovereign authorities, but would also be able to work within an economic and some social framework with the rest of Canada, thus sovereignty association, which, to repeat, sounded kind of contradictory. And Mr. Trudeau Sr. was taking the point of view, look, if you are going to be sovereign, you're sovereign. We'll negotiate with a sovereign country as we do with other sovereign countries. 
course, he was also armed at that point by the referendum result, which came out 60-40 uh, in 78-79, I forget the exact date, uh, came out in favor of um, uh, the people staying within Canada. So he had all of these things going uh, for us. But again, uh, the negotiations took place essentially uh, behind closed doors in that 1981 meeting. We convened in the uh, conference center uh, at that time, at least the conference center as it was at that point, right across from the Chateau Laurier, uh, on the on the opening day, and then because the acrimony was so high, not only on the Quebec issue, but a variety of issues, including from a number of premiers, uh, Mr. Trudeau determined, and we all agreed, that we should hive off to the fourth floor of the conference center, right opposite the Chateau Laurier, which we did. It's a small little room. Each delegate provincially, I think, was entitled to three delegates. In our case, it was the premier, myself, and uh, a senior advisor, Howard Leeson, uh, uh, an academic uh, specialist on the area of federal-provincial negotiations who had been negotiating and helping us out all, all throughout. And other provinces were in the same boat. There was a larger delegation. Chrétien was there, Prime Minister Chrétien, former Prime Minister Chrétien was there with Mr. Trudeau and a variety of federal people. But it wasn't very large. And as you can imagine, the, the discussions were heated, uh, they were, uh, I think, off the record. I don't, least, I don't recall a transcript. There may be a transcript around. And the idea was, this comes to your point, to do something to get Quebec on side. And the preoccupation was Quebec. And in the consequence, Aboriginal and First Nations peoples uh, were sidelined. Uh, there were, uh, and not saying this only for Saskatchewan, but primarily... Uh, Mr. Blakeney uh, knocking on the door saying at these meetings, look, we have to deal with the First Nations people, the Aboriginal people. And again, coming back to David Hanekew being the leader of the uh, of the association nationally, who was a good friend of Mr. Blakeney's and my, 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 myself and others, and a very powerful, very eloquent leader. But Mr. Trudeau Sr.'s point of view was, and quite understandably, you can't add to the package. It's complex enough. Uh, without adding at the issue of uh, treaty rights, uh, what are they? I mean, do they have constitutional status? Do they have only legal status? Uh, some of the wording in, in treaty is unclear. And so he kept on trying to uh, postpone this to a separate series of meetings. And uh, I think that was the attitude taken as well by the vast majority of the other provincial governments. I don't think they were at all keen uh, at Saskatchewan's uh, pursuit or at least uh, requests that Aboriginal rights be dealt with at that point. So that was the context. And when the deal came out and dealt with Quebec, if I can describe it that way, use that word dealt with, at least uh, tried to accommodate Quebec, mm -hmm. you could not accommodate Mr. Levesque's point of view, but accommodate Quebec, uh, then there was a great big sigh of relief. And that, by the way, involved nighttime negotiations. Uh, there's a thing called the Kitchen Accord where uh, Chrétien and myself, and, and, and that was it, two of us, Mr. McMurtry was there from Ontario, tried to bang out a little statement that was a compromise that ultimately I think was the basis of the agreement. Uh, we were trying to get by that hurdle. And that's not an excuse, it's just a reality that in the consequence, other important issues, one of which, and probably the most important issue, Aboriginal rights, fell off the table in the anxiety and the urgency that we could not leave that conference center 
uh, opposite the Chateau Laurier with yet another failure. Because if we did, it would destroy confidence within Canada, or might, and might embolden, which we were quite confident it would, the nationalists in Quebec, and another try, which might succeed in pulling out of Canada, and that's the end of Canada. So that was the kind of mentality and preoccupation at that point, and that is probably, others may have an interpretation, but my recollection is that was probably the biggest reason why Aboriginal issues weren't dealt with in that particular conference. So at the end of the uh, November uh, November 5th, by November 5th, uh, 1981, there's an accord, uh, with, which doesn't include uh, Indigenous rights and treaty rights, but that's not quite the end of the story because uh, in the in the days after the deal is made public, uh, there is a, a, a backlash starts, uh, mostly focused on uh, Section 28, which uh, guarantees char that charter rights apply equally to men and women, um, but that that Section 28 is subject to notwithstanding. So there's this concern starts coming, uh, and at that moment. Alan Blakeney takes the takes the public moment to put treaty rights back into the mix. Explain this last turn and how, in November 1981, it results in uh, in uh, Aboriginal treaty rights becoming Section 35 of the Constitution. Well, these questions are all very fascinating and they're very difficult, uh, easily to answer. And of course, I'll give you again. The disclaimer that this is my interpretation, although I was very close as co-chairman with Kretchen and and the like. But in the correction required under Section 28, uh, the women's organizations, quite correctly, uh, as I look back at it and have looked back at it, uh, had interpreted that it was an incomplete section. It did not guarantee the total equality of, of gender under the Constitution as a fundamental concept of any civilized and modern society. Uh, and frankly, in private discussions that I had with Premier Blakeney, as we had our lawyers study it, this was a very strong argument. Uh, however, what Blakeney felt was, and, and again, I, I don't want to overstate my role because he was the Premier, but I was very much in support of him and in my co-chair role that I had with Mr. Kretchen, I was able to keep in contact with him on a regular basis. I, I, I agreed. And so Mr. Blatney felt that the way, thing to do it would be to say this to Ottawa, which he did. We, we left Ottawa in, with an agreement, and one of the things that we agreed to was that that was it. We wouldn't open up the Constitution again, which is, by the way, what had been agreed to in, in, uh, in the discussions. Here we are a couple of weeks, several weeks later, with an oversight on Section 28, and we want to open up the agreement. I thought we weren't going to open the agreement. And then he said, if we are going to open the agreement, we're going to open it up to put in something which will cover off Aboriginal rights, at least Section 35. This was not an overnight position. This was like mm -hmm. maybe three weeks, four weeks of some bitter, uh, tough uh, discussions between uh, Mr. Trudeau Sr., uh, Alan Blakeney, uh, I know that uh, Jean Chrétien, who I consider a, one of the great Canadian prime ministers and Canadians and a friend of mine, uh, he and I had uh, very tough words at each other because the idea was that if we did this, uh, then we'd open up the whole uh, unresolved other issues, which I've alluded to. And there was a standoff of three weeks. In fact, 
I remember a demonstration in the front outdoors of the legislative buildings in Regina, which involved several thousand, I mean, there must have been seven, 8,000, if not more women from all over Canada protesting the fact that Saskatchewan and Blakeney were holding up the equality provision uh, of uh, gender uh, in the Constitution. Uh, and Blakeney, I was uh, standing beside him, and this was a very tough crowd to speak to, was trying to explain that they wanted to, uh, they were for it, we were for it, uh, but uh, we also wanted to make sure there's some form of equality for the First Nations and Aboriginal peoples. Um, but that didn't cut very much ice in that particular moment, or at least that particular situation. So we were a standoff. And at that point, I think it was Peter Lougheed, to give Peter credit, although a number, I mean, when I name people, it's, it's more complicated than that. I think it was Peter who came to the uh, support of Saskatchewan and said, look, uh, I think Saskatchewan's got a, uh, a, a correct uh, position. Uh, with respect uh, to uh, the issue of uh, uh, that they were for. And in the consequence, uh, Mr. Trudeau, senior, uh, said, all right, we'll agree to put both in. We'll correct the error on Section 28, and we'll agree to put in Section 35 with respect to the First Nations and Aboriginal people. Uh, we felt in Saskatchewan that it was an incomplete section still at that. But nonetheless... It was in the Constitution, and I think today it presents um, a major, represents a major step forward, and I think in some ways further buttresses the efforts, the ongoing efforts of the AFN to deal with this issue. Now, to Mr. Trudeau Sr.'s credit, and I'll just make a very quick point here, uh, after this arrangement, and we patriated the Constitution in 1982, the Queen came over to Ottawa from London, uh, we were there, uh, got washed out in an election two weeks later, mm -hmm. but we were there in any event, Mr. Blakeney and myself, I'm very proud to see it happen. Uh, to Mr. Trudeau Sr.'s credit, he then reconvened a series of First Minister's meetings dealing solely with the issue of Aboriginal uh, issues and how do we get Aboriginal issues into the Constitution. Uh, we were no longer, I was no longer a part of the negotiations because our government had been defeated. I personally had lost my own constituency seat. So that was the end of uh, my involvement uh, in the whole situation. We were looking, I was looking totally from the outside. Uh, and eventually uh, we got the provision of section, uh, I think it was 35, the Aboriginal section into the, into the Constitution, at least they did. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, for much of Canada's history, the goal of the federal government really has been uh, about extinguishing Aboriginal rights, really from <laughs> Confederation uh, up until the 1970s. In 1969, the federal government, the Liberal government at the time, uh, had a white paper that proposed uh, abolishing treaties and converting reserve lands to private property. But then there's this huge shift. By 1982, it, the talks that you're part of uh, goes exactly the other way and says, far from extinguishing Aboriginal treaty rights, let's protect them right in the Constitution. What do you think is the enduring significance of Section 35? Uh, we've seen court cases, we've seen debate, we've seen uh, a huge amount of change in Canadian society and the relationship between First Nations, Métis, uh, and Inuit people and the Federation over the last, um, this is now 40 years. Yeah. Where is this moving, the Canadian Federation? 
Section 35. All of these questions are very penetrating and very difficult, uh, <laughs> and this is probably the most difficult one for me to answer. Uh, I know that when I came back into public life from 91 to 2001 and was premier, uh, at that point, uh, one of the major issues on my agenda, and I think it was the case with most of the premiers, if not all the premiers, uh, was the issue of dealing with uh, First Nations people's demands and treaties. Uh, and it stemmed from the fact that historically, I'm overstating it a bit, but maybe not all that, all that much, uh, the treaties were made at a time where there was a horrendous disadvantage to the First Nations people. Uh, they received the very often, if not almost always, the worst piece of plot of land as a reserve. Uh, you could do nothing with it. Uh, their powers uh, were limited to self-governance in uh, within the reserve, and at that point with limited uh, advice and other support uh, facilities. Uh, well, I won't get into this, but I think it's correct to say that one of the one of the really sad stories of a country that I love, my parents came from Ukraine. I was the first and only born in Canada member of my family in, born in Canada. I was so thankful that they came. Uh, all these people have built the country, but the reality was the First Nations people were here before and were living in not only abject poverty, but also living very often, but also without any authority <clears throat> other than whatever they could muster by way of, of uh, um, publicity and using social media, which was not existent in those days, but today, it, had to, it was an injustice which had to be rectified. And so this prompted Mr. Trudeau Sr., Pierre, to have this conference, series of conferences that I've alluded to already, namely uh, after 1982, which were devoted solely to the issues of uh, First Nations people and clarifying and strengthening what Section 35 meant and what treaties meant. Uh, as I say, I was no longer in the negotiating process, but I'd been invited several times uh, to Chief David Ahenikew's suite uh, in Ottawa. As I say, he was the chair of the uh, Assembly of First Nations uh, to give him some advice, such as I could, from the outside on the issue. So this was a pressing concern, and it remains a pressing concern. I would argue that it probably is the most unresolved issue, the meaning of 35. In practical terms, uh, the, uh, the continued uh, concern by a lot of First Nations of their role of being, as the term is, the First Nations uh, of the country, dealing with uh, a Canada which came later, uh, deprived of their rights, and how do we do some rectification or, or some correction uh, of, uh, of circumstances in order to, uh, to bring everybody into the Canadian family? Uh, that, that is a story yet to be written, and a story yet to be uh, told after it's written uh, as we continue to work our way through the situation. I must say that uh, Justin Trudeau, Mr. the younger uh, Trudeau, is showing a great deal of interest in this area, to his credit, in my view. Uh, and uh, maybe something further will develop. I'm hopeful that it will. Anyway, that's, that's kind of the reaction that I have, uh, because uh, when 35 came in, 
as I say, for four years, I had nothing to do with it. And I didn't have much to do with it. Otherwise, I was in opposition from uh, 1986 or something of that, 87, till I became premier in 1991. So that's kind of the recollection that I have, to the best of my memory, uh, of uh, the, the, the history of this particular uh, unresolved issue. After the after Section thirty five is put in the in the new constitution, the the constitution of nineteen eighty two, there are, as you're alluding to, these several first ministers' conferences that continue right. through the nineteen nineties to discuss the meaning of Section thirty five, how it applies, and and that's involving uh, provinces and uh, indigenous peoples' leadership. Uh, and 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 during that time, I think I'm correct to say. Uh, Legislation and uh, litigation uh, is is really suspended, and uh, while these discussions go on for quite a long time, and then those end, and then other key cases come along, the Sparrow decision and others that start filling in the gaps where the discussions ultimately failed. So, thinking about this now, uh, from you know all this hindsight, is there a place or a purpose? For those kind of discussions that were held in the 1990s, realizing that at that time you were not directly a participant in them, but an, a keen observer, I'm sure, those kind of ongoing discussions about the meaning of uh, of the constitutional uh, section 35 as a uh, uh, an addition or as a place in addition to uh, courts uh, for resolving and understanding the legal meaning of section 35 should that approach be revived well I think there's an argument a very strong argument and I kind of tend in support of it to say the answer to your question is yes after all we're talking about the most fundamental law that any nation can have and that's its framework law the Constitution and section 35 like a lot of the sections by the way sets out a principle but doesn't set out very much by way of mechanisms to achieve self-determination and uh, it, it is a it's a difficult debate uh, there are some first nations leaders who argue uh, that uh, as the term implies they are nations within a nation called canada and uh, that that brings with it a series of negotiations and a series of issues which are different than the kind of negotiations that I described here earlier in this interview, namely provincial and federal, where the provincial uh, governments were the creation of uh, Ottawa, uh, as opposed to uh, the uh, the First Nations being uh, treaty uh, protected uh, between the Queen or the, the monarchy and uh, individual uh, First Nations. So it's a complex issue here, and it, it'll vary from region to region, uh, based on uh, the points of view of some First Nations leadership and communities. And it's a challenging job uh, that the leader of the Assembly of First Nations has, because he has a, uh, a few hundred First Nations groups under his, uh, under his, not under, but working with him. He's their spokesperson. And how you coalesce this into a clear argument uh, in a straight or more or less straight line, although it's not straight as I explained, it's more of a zigzag line, uh, how do you do that by way of constitutional negotiation is unclear. Keeping in mind that Ottawa has a legitimate concern about 
the need to have a strong central government for all Canadians, uh, First Nations peoples included. Uh, some First Nations peoples, uh, I've been in discussions with them, as I say, I'm repeating myself here, tend to take the view, no, that's nation to nation. This is a very complex issue, and this is a story which will uh, be played out over the years ahead. Uh, and uh, what the solutions are uh, just don't readily come to my mind. Uh, I've given it a lot of thought, and uh, but I'm not sure that any of the thinking that I've done uh, can translate uh, itself into uh, uh, a firm opinion, if I can put it that way, at this stage of the game. But I, I will make the the prediction that I think this is a, a it's not a very difficult prediction to make. This will be an ongoing major concern by the Canadian government and governments, but particularly Ottawa, because First Nations want to deal with Ottawa and Ottawa only, and the Queen, or the royalty, um, because that's the, the authority where they uh, historically they base a lot of their claims on. Uh, the, the negotiations will probably be focused there. But the province doesn't want to say. So at some point or other, I suspect, we'll be back into a series of federal, provincial, uh, First Nations uh, uh, negotiations. Uh, and uh, that will be... Uh, that that will be a challenge uh, to find an, an appropriate accommodation and compromise as great as, if not greater than, the challenges that we faced in patriating our Constitution, bringing it home from England, and having a made-in-Canada Constitution with the made-in-Canada Charter of Rights and Freedoms, and as it turns out, it's Section 35 dealing with First Nations people. So um, it's... Uh, it's to be continued, as they would say. Well, uh, politics <laughs> politics is more of an art than a science, uh, many people say. And, you know, in that art, looking at the history is uh, is important, you know, for looking at where we're, where, where we're going and what our challenges are in the future and how we address them. And uh, I think people appreciate that you've been a key person in that, uh, in those debates, in those challenges, in that art. And uh, so you're... Your, uh, your, your recounting that history is very valuable to us. So, so Roy Romano, thank you very, very much for joining us. Well, you're very kind. Thank you very much for asking me. And I was uh, um, fortunate and honored to have uh, experienced uh, some of these, uh, these issues. Uh, good luck to you. Continued success to you guys. Thank you very much. Take care. Take care. Thanks for joining Game Changers. Please subscribe and share this podcast. Let's widen the discussion. Canadians deserve it.